Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Bootstrapped. I'm Andre Butov, uh, here as always with Ian Lensman from Userscape. Ian, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? We're two tired guys this week. I am very tired. Today was a gauntlet of uh, client work. I woke up, I woke up God knows when. I woke up whenever the baby woke up. And um, I shuffled downstairs <clears throat> to check my email, and I never got up. Right. <laughs> now, now, I'm already surprised right off the bat that you don't have an email checking mechanism in your bedroom. No. I. Uh, no. That's very good of you. <laughs> my office is five steps away from the bedroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, today was release day that I didn't know. Well, the client project that I've been working on for since August. Mm is um, being tested in production today and I kind of knew and I kind of didn't know <clears throat> um, but anyway so I checked in on it five minutes after I woke up and I I never got out of the office since then so I'm now here like 10th 11th hour now in the office doing client work uh, that client work will kill you <laughs> yeah well you know I just have that one client yeah that's not too bad uh, I'm not really a client work type of person. Pretty I good. took the project because you uh, recommended me. That's true. <laughs> it's all my fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> um, but is it almost done? It's almost done, though. So well, the right. iOS version is almost done. Oh, uh, sorry for the listeners. I can't talk about what it is, obviously. It's under like a massive pile of DN uh, NDAs. So I can't talk about what it is, but yeah. So the iOS port is kind of almost done; it's being tested now. But then I got to do the Android port of it, and then there's like a second, second wave of stuff that they decided right. wasn't important enough to do in version one, but version two follows right afterwards. So I'm guessing I have another eight months of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice, you know, and some of the ups and downs of the mobile software space, a little baseline. Not yeah, it's not bad, but you know you got to be careful with the whole never being able to get out of consulting work. Yeah, thing, right? okay, we got to do a consulting episode. That's that's a whole a whole episode or three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing. Well, if you kind of approach, I'm not going to go into it now. But like, I think people who enter it with the the vision of running a consulting company don't have the negative outlook on having so much consulting work and so little time to do products True. as people who enter it as a, a safety net mechanism for product work. That is true. That's a very different. You're you're happy to be very, very busy versus uh, despising that you're very busy. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, it also depends on kind of like consulting is, is weird in a way that it's like actors, they get um, pigeonholed into certain parts right and you get typecast when you do consulting work it's sort of like what's that expression uh, your reward for digging holes is a bigger shovel right so you kind of get the same t level of consulting work the same type of, of client over and over right. again so if you get unlucky I guess or if you become very desperate or something and, and you start taking on clients who are of um, lower caliber clients, you know, uh, not really professional people. Um, you start, you, you keep getting them, right? Because because there's a lot more of those than of uh, high quality clients because you know there's less people who are willing to work with them. Right. 
but consulting is all about word of mouth and word of mouth doesn't have that much depth to it but it has a lot of breadth to it so you wind up having a lot of uh, the same clientele yeah so. one of the uh, we sponsored a podcast last week userscape did um bit splitting which is a new podcast and uh the woman they had on from uh, mule design basically they had a section of it we'll link it up in the show notes that was basically that more in depth on that topic basically mm-hmm. like kind of picking your customers and once you get if you get pigeonholed in kind of the wrong group then that's you know you're kind of stuck there so trying to get in the right group when it when it comes to doing the consulting work yeah i mean i'm not a, i'm not a um expert in consulting at all i just i took it on because well i took it on because you recommended me and it was a bad time right. to um financially so I took the project, and I'm glad I took it because now if things don't work out, I could probably get hired by them. <laughs> yeah. Carl will probably hire me. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, no, the project is great because it really – I don't do that much iOS work for products. Right. And I really got much stronger through this project on my iOS skills. Right. Well, that's where you want to be these days, right? So I mean, I think that's that's good. You'll have both yeah, between Android and that. You'll have it all covered now. Yeah. So, um, uh, what's going? On? Oh, a funny uh, anecdote. I posted okay. on my I posted on my blog about. Uh, I, I I mean, I actually put thought into it, so it's written better than I'm going to explain it. But it actually came from a, a support question. Sure. Uh, came in and um, uh, so it was a, a CEO of a company. And uh, so the larger companies, you don't get to talk to the CEO. You get to talk to some, you know, five levels down underling of some sort. Right. Some peon emails you and says, my boss is yelling at me because your software doesn't work. So, you know, my always, you know, I I can't get him to give me any details because he has to go up and and he's scared to go up, whatever. So (laughs) the best I could do, I put this button in a long time ago. You, You go into your settings inside my app. And you click send debug, and it grabs a bunch of info and it emails the debug info to us, so I could at least take a look at the state of the app. So I told them, whoever is responsible, just click that little debug button, and then I'll take a look. So then I get an automated ticket from their help desk system that says they created a, a, a request for somebody to click on the debug button. So this thing is escalating for like two weeks, and I'm getting like confirmations from like paired up help desk systems and tertiary help desk systems that another <laughs> ticket has been created in response to the first ticket. Two weeks later, I get a debug log report right. uh, from my app finally, and the first line is like uh, a spam filter engine is turned off, and that's why it's not working. Right. So <laughs> within 30 seconds, I'm responding and I'm saying. Um, there's a button there that says on and off. Just click it on. And I replied. And the first uh, uh, response that came back to me is that there was a ticket opened on their system for somebody to press the on button in the app. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, by the time this woman realizes that the solution is to press the on button in the settings screen, six weeks have gone by. And and I'm looking like an ass because it takes forever for my company to respond to their, um, you know, support requests from us. But the subtext of the story is what a good business help desk software is. Look at that. You got three different help desk <laughs> systems and the one organization, all this stuff being passed around via the help desk. Yeah, none of them are help spot though. Ah. We oh, won't I work doubt on it. that. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. It's only it's a big big ocean out there. <laughs> you would have recognized those emails, so 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Those things are tricky with the like. That's the thing with support. It's like it's still, still always those challenges there of like just the same questions you have to answer over and over, and sometimes it's not a good way to intercept them because it's you know even if you had a self help thing that was like turn it on, uh, you know like obviously no the CEO wasn't going to go look for that and. The flunky's just doing what he's told, so he's just going to contact you. He's not going to like go look at the self help stuff. So uh, that's always it's just a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no support is fine. It's just that I'm in a weird position of having uh, not the right type of products that would justify my level of support giving. Right? Yeah, well, we Dollar. covered that all last episode. You're right. The so that's that's like of- my only qualm with uh, support. Right. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> support for Uber Deck will be perfectly fine. That's a, an app that kind of deserves support. You know, and, um, Got to get you on things you can talk about here, Andre. Uber Deck. Not only Uber Deck, there's a product that's coming after Uber Deck. Because oh. Uber, De- Uber Deck is in late alpha, early beta now. Mm-hmm. And there's already a product that's coming after Uber Deck, which is going to be called, uh, it's already called Quintu, or it used to be called Quintu. Um, which, but it was it was a, a slightly different thing. I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting on oh, Quintu. Well, this will be, see, well, you better start talking about it here pretty darn soon, so we can verify your pivotness. Pivotness. Pivoticity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So today somebody told me there was a competitor to Uberdeck. Mm. I actually found twelve competitors to Uberdeck. Ah, well, so I have a list. So now you're scared. Don't be scared. That's good. No, that means scared. people out there looking for alternate solutions. That's what that means. Yeah, I know the whole theory. <laughs> <laughs> the theory is true. I'm telling you, nobody's in a more competitive space than me. Hardly anybody. And yeah. I'm telling you, that's good to have competitors. That's where you want to be. That's how you make money. You don't want to be the only guy out there trying to push something, especially when you're bootstrapped and you're small and you don't have money to advertise or you don't have like you know a million followers to just say hey i'm doing this and they all run out and do whatever you tell them Mm -hmm. you know it's like people got to find you somehow so So here's here's how that theory evolved at least from my perspective over the over the years since i started right so the first mention of be open and uh don't worry about competitors and don't don't code in the dark is because people were actually looking to steal ideas on forums and they actually wanted to know right the the second evolution (laughs) the second i said from my perspective this is when i'm starting out so the second evolution is um you don't want to be in the dark and you want to have competitors because that justifies your idea that means there's a market for it right so that's kind of like uh, eco econ 101 right Sure. So, and now there's a deeper evolution to this, which I don't know where it came from. I think I heard it from either Amy Hoy or or, or um, uh, Jason Cohen or somebody. Is that um, the existence of many competitors uh, gives you uh, a evidence proof of the existence of customers that are unhappy in some way with those product offerings. Right. Therefore, by having a lot of competitors, there's a growing number of people that are unsatisfied on some level with those things. So if you differentiate yourself even in the least bit, you will be able to grab at least 
the starting percentage of those people that are dissatisfied with the existing offerings. Right? Right. I'm, I don't know whether there's another evolution of that. Don't work in the dark. You, you need to have competitors type of a thing. But that's as far as I've gotten from the stuff that I've listened to. And I listen to this stuff when I walk my dog. So it's not like I bathe in it. Well, I have one level deeper too now. So what we've been doing with Snappy is we started talking about it like month, you know, forever ago. Last summer we started mm-hmm. talking about it and doing the design and and so we didn't even we had nothing basically the app, but we had the designer. This will segue nicely into one of our topics. But um, <laughs> we had the designers working. It would have if you didn't mention it. <laughs> right. The uh, I'm letting everybody behind the curtain a little bit. Um, yeah. So we had the designers working on it over the summer. You know, designing the app, whatever, and uh, and I think I talked about this before, but we had them posting up screenshots to Dribble, you know, really early, and from that we got literally thousands and thousands of, um, you know, signups to the mailing list. So, mm-hmm. and it's okay. So that let's let's fast forward to now. We have all these people, and we're in beta, and you would think, okay, like those people are kind of worthless because they were like some of them. I mean, are like you know, eight nine months ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, like they've all they've they're not as um, they don't convert as well into beta signups as obviously more recent people, but they still convert at a very high percentage of people who at least you know log in, kick the tires, and then of that, you know, there's been a chunk who are you know really actively using the system. So I don't know. I think uh, that's a really huge benefit is is you know getting this pre sign up list and getting a beta group of a reasonable size and and uh kind of building that up really early. And if you already have competitors, you're not gonna give enough info away that they're gonna change what they're doing based on your non existent, you know, offering. And the nice thing about being so small is who cares about vaporware? Like it's not like you're Microsoft promising something and not delivering. You're Andre Butov, you know, one guy promising something. So like if it doesn't happen okay it's not like millions of people are gonna be on your ass about it you know it's it's not really too big a deal so i think honestly it's actually the other way around um at some level you don't want to talk about it because you have a vision and um to finish it you 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 you're happy to kind of limit the vision, right? Or limit the, uh, the feature set, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to, to finish it up. Right. And not wanting to talk about it is at the same level of not wanting to really peruse the competitor sites. You just want to see that they are, put them in a list, but not really go through what they're offering. Right. Because um, I'm afraid of being stuck in this loop where you see somebody mentioning something because they know what you're working on and they request a feature or they said, oh, is it going to have this? And uh, you have to respond. Or you see a competitor who's doing something because now you're perusing the competitor's details and you're nowhere near that. And all of a sudden you think where you were fine with launching at a certain level initially, you're now even more embarrassed about launching it at that level. So you're stuck at this loop of wanting to get this thing, if not perfect, but at least competitive right from the get-go, which is not right because it'll take six years to launch. But see, that's where I think your thinking is backwards. And I think your thinking is backwards because here's the problem I have with that. Once you do launch it, right, if you say, okay, I'm launching it and it's got this very minimal feature set, Mm -hmm. 
Like now you're going to be competing with everybody else as if you are equal, right? Like somebody who randomly finds you and your website is going to be like, oh, okay, I'm now evaluating this against this other thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the beta, if you have a big beta list of people who know that you're just building this thing, like they have a whole different outlook. They're not comparing you directly to the competitors because they know that you're just starting and it's going to be a half big solution for the first year while you're evolving it. But, you know, if they like where it's going, they're going to stick with you. So I don't know. So I think that works against you because otherwise all your people, you got to try to convince once it's out, you have to try to convince them as an actual solution. That's, you know, oh, I see full-fledged. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like your perspective. So you're, so you're saying if I just open the gates, they expect that perfect competitor. Right, but if if I if I open a little bit of trickle, the trickle that comes in is the super tightly interested trickle that will accept me for what I am while I'm growing. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I like. That. I'll talk with my wife about that. <laughs> I gotta talk with my wife about everything. <laughs> you know, this is this is a company that's now eight years old, but this is a company of essentially two people, and I get, and my wife is in this thing 100%. So I gotta. I can't just start talking about it. She doesn't feel comfortable about it. So you can't make a decision on on the air. I can't even buy furniture for the house, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 34 year old married man. I have no powers. That's true. I agree with that. That's great. <laughs> Bill, Bill Cosby himself. If anybody out there has never seen himself by uh, Bill Cosby's stand up routine, have you seen it? It's, yeah. it's one of the best things ever. Yeah. He has a whole section on that. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, which brings us to segue. Um, other things to watch. Okay. So <clears throat> yesterday, you tweeted that you're watching Code Rush, right? Or two days ago, whenever. Yeah. And I was watching it literally like 20 minutes into it already when you tweeted that, which was funny because I have a list of it's in my delicious thing mm. uh, uh, that says I have a to watch tag. And I went over this with Gavin on the other podcast, but I'm the type of person that, aside from the regular music that I listen to when I code, I like to have Netflix or some videos running, Mm. but it has to be (laughs) nonfiction, and it has to be something I've already seen a thousand times. It's essentially a techno song in a loop type of a deal. I want ambience in the background. I don't want content that will distract me. So it can't be a movie because there's plot and there's you know points of uh, emotion and whatever. So it has to be pretty dry. So it has to be documentary, but it also has to be documentary I haven't seen before because otherwise it'll distract me. So I tend to have like these. Um, that, you, that you mean that you have seen before, right? That I have seen, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I tend to have this list that I, I go through and um, run the background, um, but not only are they there to kind of you know filter out the background noise, they're also there to sort of atmosphere builder like um, um, a sort of uh, uh, inspiration so for example one of the things is uh, Code Rush of course Code Rush was uh, Code Rush is on YouTube you could find it now for the listeners it's a documentary covering the um, Netscape collapse essentially so back in 98, 99 when uh, Netscape uh, you know forked out to Mozilla to give away the source code to compete with Microsoft and uh, uh, so so the appeal of that you know on the surface the appeal of that is to introduce the regular non the normals to the world of computers and, and internet and all that but for us the appeal is you know like Jamie Zawinski is there and like these superstar developers are there 
yeah. when they were young, and 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 Jamie essentially quit the business after AOL bought Netscape because of that whole fiasco. And you get to like see it happen because it's exact the, the kind of documentary that basically just follows them and watches them, you know, be programmers on uh, a major like. Um, uh, uh, what what do you call it? crunch time crunch mode right which is yeah, always think, fun to watch it was definitely they definitely had great access and you definitely got a sense of the intensity and uh it's kind of i thought it was just interesting on so so many different levels like obviously if you're old enough like we are to you know remember that time pretty clearly it's like super in, i mean they basically invented open source software i mean they didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't invent it but like that was a huge boost and a big it was thing a, it was that, a big deal yeah yeah, that changed a lot of how everything that you know came after it, you know, rolled out when they released this, you know, millions of lines of code to become this, you know, browser. Um, it, I mean, just the environment of it, you know, the startup mentality back then. I mean, to see all the like, you know, because that's I found this very interesting too. Like, kind of dovetailing in with our conversation last week about VC and stuff, but like. You know, the first dot com was such so different than now. Like now people get funded on these stupid ideas, but they don't you know, nobody goes public really anymore. Like they cash out at their thirty million or occasionally a hundred million mm-hmm. and that's kinda it. But I mean these companies, you know, they all were going public. I mean these I mean Netscape was worth four billion and at one point within the time in this documentary it was worth ten billion. I mean that's a serious but this was, this was the era of eBay, Amazon, and like Pets.com and shit. So. Right. And all kinds of other crazy shit. I mean, everybody just went, they just took them like straight public. Like it wasn't a lot yeah. of like buying out before like you went public. Like everybody was going public. I mean, hundreds of companies went public. And just the difference that makes and like, I don't know, there's so many different aspects to that. I mean, that's huge building and thousands of people and all this, you know, all, all this stuff going on to, to you know, in the startup idea um, that basically floundered after a few years, you know, it was really interesting. Back then, people were hiring CEOs that had uh, no understanding of computers at all, just CEOs that could leverage like IPOs really quickly. Now you right. have, now you have CTOs, founders, CTOs going into the CEO position. People are fine with that. But before it was unthinkable, you had to hire like the, the CEO that took, you know, three other companies public six months before. That right, you needed the, yeah, the, the business guy. <laughs> the business guy. Well, um, that's what I mean. Yeah. One of the things I always am big on, like, and it was, uh, it was interesting that like Jamie Zwinski brought it up, um, because I, I don't know I just feel like companies use this to abuse their employees a lot, like the whole stock options thing, and like you know, oh, here's this, you know, zero point one percent, and if we become Google, then you'll make millions of dollars, but if you know anything short of that and it's really not that much money i mean if you sell out for 10 million dollars and you have 0.1 percent that's actually not that much money um mm-hmm. you know once it all shakes out and so you know back then and he referred to it directly as a lottery ticket you know and he's like i mean he he happened to win it which is you know great for him but um he was like totally against it which i thought was really interesting and uh and I feel like that now. Now it's even worse, I feel like, because so many of these companies sell out earlier. You're not going to go public and be a $4 billion company where every secretary and janitor and random person is going to become a millionaire, you know? So, like, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's just interesting how that's all changed. But yet, I still feel like it's a big thing that 
people still are using to abuse their employees. Like, we're not going to give you anything. We're not going to, you know, give you other benefits. And we're going to make you work around the clock and kill yourself, um, which is something else that the movie did a great job showing. I mean, there was one guy with a couch in his cube because he, like, lived in the cube and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I don't know how much of that is is ex- uh, exclusive to that startup. I mean, oh, I yeah, was no. in uh, when I was in my first job at Wall Street. I slept on a cot. They bought a cot for me. Right. I slept in a cot. I I didn't come home for days, right? Um, because I had you know code to write and trading system against uh, Korea or something Vietnam. I don't know where the hell that trading floor was, but uh, other side of the world. So I had to be up doing support and writing code at night and um, you know they had crunch time and 24 7 right. and that had nothing but at the same time they also have the that whole bonus structure so you That's wind up going set. for an interview and they say well uh, we're only going to give you you know two thousand dollars more per year as a salary than you had from your last job but you're going to get this 50 percent bonus or whatever right. and the bonuses are kind of like they're not as risky as uh, the stock options because stock options you still have to wait for that you know exit. Right. Or the bonuses tend to come around every year, but I've got I've got cufflinks uh, as a bonus, like really cheap, the kind that like um, um, not even stainless steel, the the kind that they turn green after a while. And I don't have any shirts that need cufflinks. I've uh, I've had a bottle of wine. I don't know how much it costs, but it wasn't you know it was regular store bottle of wine as a bonus. But the bonuses, my my wife brought home uh, fairly decent bonuses. So it really depends. It's almost as a the same sort of carrot on a stick that. So so but uh, the uh, stock options are but so towards the end of my Wall Street stint, I didn't even care about the bonus line. My salary negotiations, um, I just said give me a you know, the salary that I want. I don't care about the bonus in the contract. Because, you know, the bonuses, so there's that trader, right? So the the, the, the programmer is sort of like, is a, is a cost factor, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, seen, he's not seen as an asset. The trader is the, the right. trader is the guy, right? So if, if I could build, so if the trader is the guy, then the revenue of the company works off of that. The trader leverages the, the end result of the revenue for the company, right? So they're going to look at you and they say, well, if you do a good job writing this trading system and you give it to that trader over there and then he's going to make more money, then the company makes more revenue, then you're going to make uh, a higher bonus, right? But the the flaw in the logic is that I could write the trading system of the century in, you know, like beautiful virginal Haskell right. and give it to him. And if the monkey behind the trading desk decides to pick his nose with it, there's shit I could do about it, you know? So there's really no influence at all. Like, the best I could do is provide tools. So in the end, that trading bonus is just as um, flaky as as those uh, stock options are. So, uh, yeah, it's the same sort of environment. It's not really... Their profitability overall as a company, Mm -hmm. I assume, though, right? So, I mean, there's some... Tied. Well, it's not profit sharing, right? There's still there's a a level of discretion involved in in what they decide to give away as bonuses. Right, right. Profit sharing is more is cleaner, right? Right. right. Interesting. Um, so, but plus you also have the same um, 
code rush mentality you have to work 24 hours a day so you sleep overnight and uh, so sort of uh, college dorm room type of a thing so it's very even more so because at least at a software company at a dot-com startup all the programmers are are at the same level of, of not coolness but in a trading environment the traders are the jocks of the high school right <laughs> and the programmers just forget it so you're still in that sort of high school mentality so um it's in, in a way it's even worse than that but anyway i haven't been in that environment for a long time so my commenting on it is just it's even more anecdotal than my my commenting on running a startup I wonder if that's even true. I mean, I would think now with how heavy it all is computerized that there would be some more weight given to the uh, programming groups and that the programmers would be more of a strategic advantage. Like if you're, you know, a trading group at one company versus another, obviously having better trading tools is probably an advantage for you these days. So, Well, even back then, the smart developers who are weren't completely antisocial and could hold their own at least for a couple of hours with the trading people. Right. They just uh, decided to go out there and learn a little bit from them. And then they went off and, you know, bought some sort of a connection license to one of the exchanges and they just wrote their own trading systems at home and they just let the computers run that shit. Right. <laughs> right? So it's, you got to be very smart about it. And there's um, licenses and there's, uh, you know, laws involved, but yeah. it's all a matter of just, if you know this stuff, you don't need to depend on the monkey behind the trading desk. Oh. You, know? you could do all of this yourself. You have to be. I was. I'm nowhere near smart enough to write. You know, high high end. There's the phone again. To write high frequency algorithmic trading systems. I've written parts of them. I've written parts of trading systems that are human ran. Right. Oh, talking between ranks of phone. That's calls. all right. It adds to the ambiance. Yeah, but uh, to write a trading system that's completely automated and not get your your ass handed to you by the other automated trading systems you compete. I mean, it's robo wars. Right, right, right. right. That's real high level. Yeah. So, so anyway, I don't know how we got on this. This is my like, least favorite topic, and I always come back to it. Oh yeah, start. Uh, <laughs> so so the else, other, yeah. Go ahead. What else struck you in there? Um, I listen to all of these things for the atmosphere. I could just run it in a loop, and just give me programmers working. And I don't even need the, guy, the the voiceover guy telling me what the story is about. I could just have like a 24-hour video feed of Janie Zawinski writing code, and I'm <laughs> and I'm happy. Um, That's funny. See, I, that, that part of it is like, I mean, it's interesting in like they're killing themselves kind of way, but then like <laughs> the, the rest of it, I'm like, yeah. But uh, the other nah. aspects are definitely more interesting to me. Like even I'm him, totally like, I'm totally the guy that would go out to Staples and buy like one of those CDs of Office Sounds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even all this equipment was great. Like it's all like you know old CRTs and old like CRTs, yeah, floppy disks. He's he's like distributing the source of Mozilla on like it's got like a three and a half inch floppy or something. It's on there. It's like uh, all that was pretty pretty interesting. Just seeing all that old stuff and everything they had to do. I came back to uh, the Wikipedia article for that uh, from Mozilla uh, after watching that like eighteen times. And uh, I finally saw something that I didn't see before. It was this Viola, Viola browser. Have you heard about this thing? Are you old enough to hear about this thing? I don't know. This was a graphical web browser like in 91. Mm. I think that was even before Netscape, right? I think so. So this guy released this thing, and uh, 
is well obviously you haven't heard of him obviously you don't know anything about it so <laughs> that just shows you like the the guy that one of the first guys maybe he invented it maybe he didn't but being first doesn't necessarily make you the standout guy in the field because yeah, this, well, this browser is just as looks just as uh, competent as uh, Mozilla did yeah yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing with like, um, even that, what was the other browser that, like Eric Sink worked on the team that was building that other browser mm-hmm. that ended up being bought by Microsoft and became yeah. Internet Explorer. Mm-hmm. can't remember the name off the top of my head, but. Me neither. Yep. I don't, yeah, I don't remember yep. the name either. Yeah. Um, I gotta look it up. <laughs> I had to look up, but uh, I knew Zawinski was doing something weird. And he, it turns out after that he bought a nightclub, and a pizza joint. A nightclub and a pizza joint. I was like, that. Is... See, that's the part I thought was awesome. I was like, that's what I want to do. Nightclub. I actually, yeah. Joint. I Done. my 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 after programming life was uh, I want. Um, you ever been to the village? There's a place called the Living Room, which I is. I think um, I might have been there once a long time ago. It's basically a bar in the front, and sixty six percent of it, two thirds in the back, is a stage. And a bunch of seats. And the mm. bar is not for you to sit at. The bar is for, like, the waitress to come get you drinks while you're sitting and you're listening to. It's basically a guy and a guitar type of a joint. Right. But because it's so old and because it's in the village, it's been inviting. Like, Nora Jones will show up randomly, you know? Right, it's right, like, right. It's that Somebody sort of place. Yeah. So that's my that's my life after programming. I want to buy one of these places and just spend my day in the corner in the chair until I fall right. over. <laughs> <laughs> But Jamie Zawinski basically got pissed off at AOL buying Netscape, and he just left the computer industry, and he got a goth nightclub in San Francisco and a pizza joint that's open 24 hours a day right next yeah. door. So, And he, for programming, he writes screensavers. Oh, really? Yeah. You know what's awesome? You know what I think is hysterical, too, is that like if we'll link it, his blog has a very distinctive look, an old-school look that's like just black with black with green, green yeah text. and like and then his his nightclub website and the pizza website is exactly the same yeah so it's like his whole you brain. have money you do whatever you want who cares it's, it's, it's hysterical i love it <laughs> I like, that's good you know that guy he's even more of a character than i imagined him to be he's a he's definitely a character i'd like to there's a couple of people that i really would like to meet and uh like have one of those seinfeld um uh, celebrities in cars, comedians in cars getting coffee <laughs> type of things. I love that. I love that show. Yeah. We'll link it in the show notes. The celebrities and celebrities are comedians. Celebrities, right? Comedians. No, it's comedians. comedians in cars getting coffee. I think. Dot com. Yeah. yeah. It's a great. It's Seinfeld. That, it, that's around. exactly that. This is Jamie Zawinski's nightclub and pizza joint for Seinfeld, right? Is doing right. whatever the hell I want because I have all the money and all the time in the world. I basically drive around to coffee shops and have conversations and have them recorded it's like great that, that could be that could be a good, good thing for us to do <laughs> yeah that requires being photogenic and actually taking a shower and not doing 12 hour coding gauntlets right <laughs> yeah it's after you're done with the coding gauntlets uh startup.com i mentioned it last uh, time yeah so we have some other movies here we're kicking around so yeah i see now i've never seen we'll, we'll go through some of these but i've never seen any of the other ones that you mentioned which even the some of these I'm surprised I haven't seen, but mm. so go through go through a few of them. We might have to watch some of these and and talk about them on the show. But go through some of these. Startup.com is exactly the business guy's perspective of uh, Code Rush. 
code rushes for programmers, startup.com doesn't care. Programmers and startup.com are like maybe two and a half minutes of an hour's worth of movie. Right. It's uh, it's from that CEO's perspective of a guy who left Goldman Sachs, so he was a, a trader or something, and he just went into this company. With the first line in the movie is like, I'm going to start an internet company. And it's like 98, 99, something like that. And they're starting GovWorks, which is a company that lets you pay your parking tickets online or something. Mm. So the entire company is basically him flying around trying to get funding and talking to President Clinton and doing PR work <laughs> and all that shit. And it it, it, it it grew and then it imploded within right, <laughs> that, like that span else. of that movie. Yeah, It's unwatchable for me because it's like it's really a business guy's movie. It's, it's really too businessy. To, it's all of those synergy and thinking outside of the mm-hmm. box and all that nomenclature and, and stuff that that's just that was really popular back then. It's like right. being hit in the head with the nineties <laughs> over and over again. Uh, yeah, that might be intense. I don't know. It's just goatees and khakis and the, the cell phones <laughs> on the side of your belt thing. Uh, yes, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I do miss those days. Uh, 12 Weeks with Geeks, which is a, a, a documentary about um, Spolsky. When Spolsky hired the uh, interns uh, to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's also now on, on YouTube, which it's not bad. It's, uh, um, I think when he was recruiting for the filmmaker for that, he actually said, I want to do something like Startup.com or Code Rush. Mm. It's essentially a modern version of, well, he hires a bunch of interns for that six weeks or whatever 12 weeks right they come in they write a product which eventually became their co-pilot service right um yeah it's not it's not bad it's um it should have been longer than it is i think the blog that comes with that escapade was actually a lot more thorough on what they did in the movie the movie the movie tries to be a little more like a movie but i don't think it it's very successful, but it's still hmm. interesting for that stuff that I get out of these things, which is just ambiance of like an actual software company and their offices. Now, this is before their current <laughs> offices. This is that. This is hysterical that you have this as background. I love this stuff, man. Pirates of Silicon Valley, uh, the um, story of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. For some reason, it's the story of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, uh, where in real life they're they're not. Um, Bert and Ernie joint at the hip right. you know they they had their own separate lives right. but in this movie it's sort of like a spy versus spy type of a situation kind of set it up as direct directly opponents or whatever and I'm yeah, surprised I haven't seen that one see that one surprises me it's uh, not extremely historically accurate but it's entertaining Noah Wiley does Steve Jobs which after he did that movie he actually went on the WWDC stage and uh, pretended to be Steve Jobs, and he fooled people for like 12 seconds, and then <laughs> Steve Jobs came out. Um, he, a spectacular performance. The movie is worth watching just for Noah Wiley's portrayal of Steve Jobs. Really? Um, yeah, that uh, whatever that guy, the punked guy uh, version that's going to come out soon, he's not going to be able to pass. It's just going to be impossible. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine him as Steve Jobs. What's, his, what's his name? Ashton Kutcher, yeah. Well, you know, it's, and it's every like thing I've seen on Twitter of like somebody getting some stupid funding like he he's like funding all these companies I don't know yeah <laughs> uh, it's all <He> crazy 
<laughs> what else is there to say? Uh, but I, I have the feeling that I'm going to be watching Ashton Kutcher in the same way I'm going to be watching any Tom Cruise movie. Like, I don't believe any of the Tom Cruise characters. All I'm doing is watching Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know what? That's so unfortunate because I really like Tom Cruise a lot. Like, Tom Cruise, back in the day, I love Tom Cruise. But he's really... He's really just become this like kind of caricature of himself. Which is- it's the same thing with Julia Roberts. I'm watching Julia Roberts in the Julia Roberts movie. I'm not watching anything. Yeah, Julia yeah. Roberts is kind of like that too, but she's not in as many movies, so it doesn't seem to bother me as yeah. much. So under my skin, like Tom Cruise. So I, I'm thinking watching Ashton Kutcher as Steve Jobs is going to be watching Ashton Kutcher trying to be Steve Jobs, but yeah. watching Noah Wiley is spectacular experience it was really good especially there was a confrontation when uh, with Tim and and Bill Gates Um, there was was one scene you'll see it you'll know it it's great Um, but it's not really historically accurate you'll uh, you'll uh, probably do yourself a favor if you read uh, one of their biographies and, and just get a real historical outlook on what happened back then but it's really entertaining and really interesting um, Triumph of the Nerds is um, what's his name uh, Robert Cringley's uh, documentary you know this one is was recorded in 95 right before the Windows 95 launch so it's perspective mm-hmm. is like from that from 95 before so it's really limited but like pre-internet basically yeah sort of like that but it's very I mean cringily was like Apple employee number three or something Mm. so it's really it's a very valley perspective of of startups it's really well done it's it's a little bit um, bland because it's trying to digest you know what source code is for people who don't know what source code is but it's for the it's it's more because it's in the flavor of if you ever watch the Food Network um, Alton Brown does that show uh, Good Eats sort yeah, of like yeah. half cooking show half entertainment uh, right. sort of like uh, um, Bill Nye the science guy flavor mm. of documentary that's how it, that's how it works and that so those a- are the ones I watch kind of in a loop. And there's like a bunch of other things. I watch John Carmack's um, QuakeCon keynotes because he's <laughs> super smart and he uh, talks yeah, for like literally that. four hours straight. Right. So if you turned that on, you could go the whole day with just one John Carmack uh, QuakeCon presentation. Um, a bunch of these presentations at conferences I watch. And uh, we talked about it before. I watch people doing shit like the Swamp Loggers and... and uh, and anything that has to do with a like uh, anything that has to do with a business being ran somewhere, I watch that. Not because I want to learn, but because it's like I'll take that. I'll take the sounds of the Enterprise bridge behind me with that little radar thing. I'll take uh, sounds of people typing. I want to not feel like I'm sitting at home. <laughs> Working at home sucks, man. Uh, yeah, I can't. I don't know that background. I can't. I can do music and podcasts, but. I can't do podcasts. Any kind of movie or anything I'm actually – even a documentary because if it's something I like, I'll be interested in it and then I'll have to watch it. So like I really can't <laughs> do it. Like once in a while, I might be able to do something like The Matrix or something or I could do like football or something like that, like a live mm-hmm. sports I could do in the background but because uh, mm-hmm. then I'll just like look up when you hear something interesting going on. But Yeah, I could do, I could do sports because it's yeah, just yeah. guys talking. I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But – Anything else that's too interesting, even the podcast distract me. Like I often have to like pause it, you know, when I'm actually like 
in deep on something and then I'll, I'll turn it back on. But no, uh, I don't think podcasts are meant to be consumed at your desks. Podcasts are like walking, taking your evening constitutional. See, that's the only time I ever consume it, consume it is at my desk. That's where I listen to all my podcasts and occasionally in the car, but most often just at the desk. Yeah, and no, I just, I walk my dogs at night and uh, I'm weird. I walk my dogs at three o'clock in the morning. I really do. But uh, that's a, a great uh, time to listen to podcasts. Yeah, I guess if I had a dog, maybe that would work. But I don't know. But yeah, like when you had this list, like it's interesting because like, I, see, I didn't know. Uh, now, would this be your list of business-ish movies that you would say would be things you'd recommend? Or this is strictly background and you would have a different list for... Oh, no, I've I've definitely watched them. Okay, I can't, like they're not, they're not there to teach you how to run a business. They're, <laughs> uh, they're, um, they're really not. They're there for entertainment. But uh, entertain enter uh, making entertainment version of something you do and and that's mundane that's mm-hmm. your daily thing is inherently interesting to you to watch. So if you're running a business and you're going to watch an entertainment version of somebody running a business, I think it's going to be an interesting perspective, especially if it has that curve of starting and then winding up either a failure or a success, right? Which I think all of these kind of are. Right, they kind right. of had that startupness in the beginning where everybody's like virginal and pure and then you kind of see that progress and, and you're kind of in the middle of that and your progress is slow and you don't level up as quickly as you'd, you know, you'd like. But the guys in the movie, they level up really quickly so you get that jolt of uh, interest and excitement out of watching it. So. Hmm. So yeah, definitely watch them. What do you lose an hour of your time if you watch these? Yeah, things? yeah, no, I gotta catch up on some of those because like I've never watched uh, any of those ones you mentioned, so I'm definitely gonna get, catch up on those. And Code Rush, I just watched for the first time there the other day at the same time as you. So uh, yeah, most of the things I like when I think of those kind of things, I think more like the I re- like to read into the businessy aspects of non necessarily businessy movies. So like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like Wall Street's my favorite, but that's a businessy movie. But uh, like Scarface or Godfather, I mean, I oh, could go you're you're like me. You watched you watched Scarface to get the mechanics of what that particular business would be like. Yeah, oh, I'm <laughs> all over it. Scarface is genius. That's like- See, Scarface has nothing. That that's like a side effect. That's like background. But to you, that's what you're watching it. That's for. the movie. It's like the whole rise and fall of the business. That that is what Scarface is about. I love it. It's like he builds himself up from nothing. He's just, yeah. uh, you know, he comes off the boat. He's doing whatever he's got to do. He's being scrappy. He's got his rules. There's got- a, there's a, uh, for those of you who are gamers, uh, the whole Grand Theft Auto notion, and there's a Scarface game that's kind of like the same sandbox uh, Grand Theft Auto style. So I always find it annoying that they all put you in the beginning as this guy who just got out of prison or just got off the right. boat or you know has like three dollars in his pocket and and you're approaching this as oh boy I get to build my empire but it never happens that way it sends you through a mission through a mission through a mission then you have a cut scene and then five years pass and you're in a bigger house with a, a nice white suit on you know <laughs> but that's that's the disappointment for me I don't want that I want the drudgery Right. Uh, did I tell you about this game I'm playing? The Euro Euro Truck Simulator. I don't think so. <laughs> Euro that Truck Simulator. <laughs> Euro that Truck like, Simulator. Boy, I don't want is, to waste. Is the most boring game ever. It's you and you get a truck 
loaned or some, or or given to you by a trucking company, okay. and you have to start your own trucking company, and you literally drive, I think, in real time, <laughs> to deliver shit from one place to another for like seven thousand dollars, and you take that seven thousand dollars, and you do it again and again and again, and you make to a hundred thousand dollars, you could say, I'm not doing consulting anymore. I'm gonna buy my own truck. <laughs> <laughs> And then you buy your own truck and you drive that and you get to a couple of hundred thousand dollars and you could buy a garage and maybe you could buy a freelancer truck driver to drive your second truck for you. And that's the game. And that's the, like, the brutal mechanics that I want out of every video game that pretends to, <laughs> to put you in a place where you start out from nothing and you wind up someplace. I want those steps but made them faster. I want to level up faster in real life and I can't do it. So I want that same level of accuracy and specificity but I want to go through the motions faster I want I want to basically uh, run through simulations of the future of of my choices <laughs> right? as a trucker as, as it doesn't matter it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter right? that's true it really doesn't matter you could swap in whatever for that so I, yeah. I like that that's pretty good I mean I, I don't know if I can sit there and actually play that for like yeah I deleted it I couldn't play it <laughs> I couldn't play it either, but that's you know that's maybe just an if example. there was a programmer version of it, you know, where you have to like get this code out and then like you level up and like you got to get bigger, more complicated code out. And there is uh, there's an iOS game about building iOS games. Really, of course yes. there is. <laughs> <laughs> I downloaded it and I played it, but uh, because it's meant to be a game, there's a certain rule set, and once you figure out the rule set, you could just you game the game. Mm. So I made it to like ten million dollars in revenue. And, that, and I gave up because it wasn't interesting anymore. Because once right. you game the game, everything's predictable. Right, right, right. right you want a little bit of be Apple coming in and making your market shit type of a situation. Like right, this, right, right. You know? They release a competing product or whatever. Yeah, stuff like that. But that's yeah. that's not a game anymore. Yeah. So uh, yours is like Scarface and Godfather and things that are really you need to watch if you know you're anybody on the planet. Type of yeah, thing. yeah, and, and my favorite is Wall Street. I'm, I think I'm gonna do Wall like Street. an in-depth. We we can't go through it in this level here, but like I'm gonna go through literally line by line. Like I've already <laughs> started planning out this blog post, and it's gonna be epic, and it's gonna be line <laughs> by line, essentially. Like it's gonna go through almost every line in the movie, and it's gonna talk about each one individually, and you know either how it applies to like the software business. Or how it's just freaking awesome, or <laughs> you know that's what it's gonna be. Because there's like so many awesome lines in that movie and so many great scenes. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it gets a little, you know, it's, it's an '80s movie, right? So there's a couple spots where it's a little like, you know, it's a little '80s-ish, just for lack of a better mm -hmm. term. But but for the most part, oh man, that that is one of the great movies of all time. Like if you're into business and like the kind of power money aspect that you find that like intriguing. I don't know if it's just cause I grew up in the eighties or what, but like that whole like Gordon Gecko, he's like, the, you know, he's like a trader investment banker kind of guy. And like, obviously he's ruthless and Michael Douglas gives the best performance maybe ever. Certainly one of the great performances of all time. And, uh, oh man, it's, it's awesome movie. It's so uh, good. Gordon is, I'm actually curious as to whether <laughs> He's not meant to be a good guy. He's the villain of the right. movie. Oh, he's definitely the villain. Although, but I could almost guarantee you that you're not, you're, not, you're not approaching the movie with that perspective. No, and it's not because you're a ruthless, you know, money grabbing banker wannabe. Right. No. It's no. because there's some 
confidence in that character that you wish you had. You know, b- barring the awfulness, there's uh, abilities in him that you kind of want to project onto yourself. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. There's like the good aspects of that. Well, first of all, on the like movie character level, right? It's more, it's like equivalent to like Darth Vader, right? Like you watch Star Wars, you love Darth Vader, even right. though he's like technically the bad guy, but like right. nobody really thinks of Darth Vader as like the evil bad guy, you know? And Gordon Gecko is kind of that same thing, at least from my perspective, where like he's just, he's so bad, he's good. Like, and mm-hmm. he's got so many great lines and his insights into things are. You know, they're ruthless, but there's also definitely, like, truth in there, you know? So it's – oh, man, it's good. It's so you know, good. You know what the bad thing is? Um, you ever you ever been to – all right, so I don't know how to phrase this, but there's a, there's a, there was a place, uh, a cafe shop next to where I used to live, and uh, it was owned by Italian guys. And The Sopranos came out mm. around that time. It was really popular. And it was a regular cafe shop. And then as The Sopranos got more and more popular, these guys mirrored themselves uh, subconsciously maybe, but sort of like as a group mentality. Yeah. And they essentially became that type of people, right? They were hanging so out you walk, the front right, you, it, was, it, would be, it would be impossible to walk in there because it became, it became almost painfully obvious that this is not <laughs> a coffee shop, even though it's a coffee shop, right? right? It's a coffee shop where just the guys that are there for not the coffee shop reasons are there for that it's and nobody actually goes right use. nobody's actually going in there to get coffee right so <laughs> so that's that's the effect that the popularity of uh, uh, Italian mobsters will have on people who are not Italian mobsters but are Italian so they can relate right? right on Wall Street it's a room full of Gordon Geckos yeah, you must have seen. Yeah, you must have had a lot of relations <laughs> to, right? you must, this must have came up like daily I imagine people quoting this movie there was uh, that's how yeah. I imagine it anyway. Well, especially when you're a programmer and you have to do support on the trading floor, which usually is not a lot of programmers, but one designated guy who's like sent there because right. he pissed somebody <laughs> off or something. So when you're there, forget about doing work because it's it's loud as it's all hell. Right. And uh, it's basically a a, a a frat house. Right. And uh, and you're the the geek. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy place to be. But again, my. Uh, my evidence is is a, you know, more than a decade old. So, well, you've never Whatever. seen Wall Street, right? So, I haven't seen Wall Street. So you gotta see, you gotta watch it, and then this way you can you can fill us in on if it portrays those aspects accurately, because there are some scenes along those lines. I have a tough time watching movies that I know to be classic that are like almost like. First of all, I have a tough time watching anything these days because I reached a point somehow uh, through being so busy all the time that. If I actually wind up noticing that I'm either playing five minutes of a game or watching five minutes of a movie, I have this massive wave of a guilt trip that like I'm wasting time right because I could be doing something else yeah so I beca- it became impossible for me to actually relax and do anything of that nature I have to, I either have to be taking care of the child, doing code or sleeping there's nothing everything else is a waste of time. Yeah, um, and that's I like a mental too. thing that you need to get over, but it's it's actually not very easy to do. So, but other than that, I can't watch like like if I saw uh, Citizen Kane, right? If I saw Citizen Kane, I did see Citizen Kane, but like I would never never be able to watch it again because it's so ingrained in society. It's so heavy. It's so good that you almost want to 
have that full experience without any interruptions at full seven point whatever surround sound with a massive right. screen. You want a hundred percent dedication, and everything else is a compromise that's unacceptable. <laughs> but in any context that you're actually going to be approaching this movie is going to be something short of that a hundred percent dedication. So you almost don't want to watch it until you're. Today I am watching Wall Street, and that is all I'm doing today. That day will never arrive, so I have a hard time kind of getting into movies. You want to right? steep yourself in it. You want to experience the thing, right? Yeah. See, I don't know. I do. I do somewhat agree with that. With just a straight like classic movie, like I don't necessarily. I'm not going to necessarily watch it a whole bunch of times. I think the divide for me is more if it's like highly quotable. So like if I can if I'm gonna get something out of like the additional like hearing those great lines over and over that then I'm gonna like and you know people who follow me on Twitter know that occasionally I go on these rants where like I'll watch a movie and, not, and then you just get like twenty quotes in a row in a row on Twitter from me because like that I can get into that like that's like all right like I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to I'm gonna watch Wall Street and I'm just gonna freak out over every quote or whatever or The Godfather I, I could do the same thing with The Godfather so like then that I can get into that like I can watch that over and over but. Yeah, like uh, the Matrix is kind of like that too. Although it's not really quotable so much, but I don't know. I have a soft spot for the Matrix, but <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I see what you're saying, though. I mean, it's hard to. Well, then back to your original point with it, like it's definitely hard to make the time for that stuff. Is definitely tricky. And now too, you know, television's gotten so good. Like I don't have, so we don't have a lot of time for any sort of screen time that's not com- our computers doing work, right? But in the little bit I do have. Like now, I feel like it's filled with like, like you know, we watch Mad Men or Breaking Bad, or you know, some of these, you know, a couple other shows that are like, they have this new kind of style to them now, where they only do like ten or twelve in a season, and mm-hmm. they're really high quality instead of the old days of like you know thirty six shitty episodes a year or whatever. So, you know, so we watch those instead of watching a movie or whatever some nights, and that's pretty much it. So you should you should watch some of the British stuff like. Uh... Whites, I think it's literally like three episodes a year, and it's like superb. Well, you know what is funny about that is like I would do anything, anything to be British, right? So like yeah. I would love to be British. I want the accent. I want to live there. I want to be British. I That's want to. It's funny how we're we're so similar in certain yeah. ways that without even meeting before, we we have these things and great <laughs> meet. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm completely obsessed with the British culture. But but see, I don't. I don't. I can't really get into the TV shows. I really? want to be British, but I cannot get into the TV shows. I don't know. I, I, now, just to be fair, I've never given them a fair shake. Like, I never really sat down and like tried. So to I'm gonna watch convert. I'm gonna convert series, you. You ready? But, you ready? Yeah, I'm gonna convert yeah, I you. Go on net. Go on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix and watch Black Books. Okay, that's what I. You'll watch. be converted. Yeah, watch Black Books. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go to Netflix right now, and you know what's gonna happen? That I've never once, <laughs> ever, ever, a thousand times, I've gone to Netflix and searched for like, oh, do they have this movie? Do they have this thing? Never, unless it's like, I'm doing Wonder it. I'm, Wonder I'm, Pets. I'm, uh, <laughs> do they have it? Because don't Pets click on Netflix Children. Click on Netflix. I know I have Dora the Explorer up and down my queue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Black Books. There's no way. That yeah, I'm Black Books is there. Anything I've ever wanted, they don't have. Black okay. Books is right there. All it's, right, they do have it. Just stick it in the queue and watch it. And and uh, my wife tells me that my personality is exactly like Dylan Moran, which I find absurd. But I guess she sees the more pissed off side of me. Um, <laughs> all right, so well, I don't know how we got this far off of 
Uh, yeah, so what do we do for we run businesses? Okay. Right, right, right. We're way off topic today. That's alright. I want to hire somebody. All right, let's do it. <laughs> I have. Let's do it right just, here on this show. I have I have a client work that's going to go on for months. I think. Right. I have uh, about. Um, I posted a, a picture. I have no idea how many. Uh, let's say two dozen ongoing apps that need support. Um, I have uh, two uh, two new apps that are being developed, and I have two web apps that are in queue. Uh, so I'm swamped. I have enough work for the next ten years, and yet I don't have any money. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so I have money for us, but I don't right. have money to hire. Mm. And um, so hiring kids out of college doesn't work, or at least I did that in '09 or '07, whichever one. I don't know, forgot. And um, it didn't work too well because I wound up um, uh, not getting as much benefit out of it as I expected. So right. I need myself an Eric Barnes or a Taylor. And uh, you can't I have I them. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, need. Yeah. So I don't know what I need, you know, right? I, I need. I do so much variety that I don't know who I need, and I don't know how to get them. And most of all, which is my wife's thing, before I say I have to go check on my wife, I already know what she's going to say. I cannot trust anybody overseas, let's say, to not say, oh, this is a magnificent piece of code that he researched. I'm just going to take it <laughs> and release an app with it. Yeah, um, that part doesn't – I mean, I guess in mobile it's a little bit different. Like, I guess that could happen. Um, I don't know if I'd be so much worried about that. I just think – I've never done, like, outsourcing with somebody overseas, so I don't know, like, in terms of a straight, like, contract – you know, one of these, I mean, obviously like 10 times a week, some random companies like outsource all your stuff to us. Like we get these emails, but like, um, yeah, I, don't know. I definitely I don't, don't think... want to hire. I definitely don't want to hire. Cause I, I've you gone just, that. You open this section by saying you want to hire somebody. Not, I mean, not, not full time. I mean, not full time. I want to hire. About... I want, I want a freelancer full time or part time. But I don't want I, I don't want it on a project basis. I want it on an ongoing yeah. support helper coder basis. Well, I want a, a deeper relationship. But I don't want to hire because I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to hire full time as an employee because right. I'm not willing to do it locally, and I don't want to go through that hassle again. Of there's just so much overhead with. Full-time well, I think you've got to figure out right. So then let's go through it. So first of all, the person who's like the support ios android web app javascript guy like that guy does doesn't exist like he's like forget about him except so, he does he's me yeah he's you exactly so like if you find somebody willing to commit eight years to learning all this to you like then you'll be fine but short of that so but they're okay, off so, doing their own startups so yeah. you gotta find like you gotta figure out what's more important for you to outsource see to me i think for you i think the easiest thing for you to do and the thing you would be most comfortable with as step one would be to outsource support. It doesn't. You don't have to give up your babies in the code. You know all that code inside and out. They're gonna make your life. You know you're gonna be able to stay in the zone longer, working on the stuff you have to work on, and you can get somebody and train them. And that's totally the type of thing too. We you could outsource that and find somebody who does it ten hours a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know every day they they do two or three hours of support for you, and that's it. And it's also a less cost position. Then, if you're hiring an iOS dev, you know. Yeah, actually, the last guy that wound up staying with us for the longest when we used to hire full time was a support guy, and the most useful because I actually wound up getting shit done. When he exactly, and and you don't need to find somebody, especially I think, 
you know, in the mobile stuff, you're not going to really need somebody. I mean, there's installation issues and things like that, but that's all like, it's all stuff that just somebody who's like competent with technology, like you could teach them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they have to be half a coder or like something like that. Like you could get, you could totally do fine with somebody who's just really strong with, you know, technology in general, ideally a little programming background just to like have an idea what's going on. But like, I totally think that's what, that would be like my phase one if I was you for sure. Okay. So let's say we skip that because I'm on my way. uh, I'm implementing a strategy already Uh for the longest time of actually forcefully minimizing my support. And um, not through forums or whatever, but I'm 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 literally like like not escalating things that shouldn't be escalated. I'm cutting people off with quick responses of the 99 cent apps that are just. I, I had one that basically said uh, the other day, uh, "I need a new registration code. Uh, here's an explanation why. I was mowing my lawn. I fell into the pool, and my BlackBerry died. I need a new... you know before it used to be a whole." Like you recommended, never let the customer have the last response and the support ticket thing to build right. a reputation as a good support company. Fine, but I have so many of those, and they're all like dollar things, not yeah. repeating customers. I, I'm I'm doing certain optimizations like that to just reply and be done with that you know situation and satisfy the customer and leave. But see, yeah, that's even but, easier to outsource that. Like, you know, yeah, I mean? but I don't need that. If, You're not if, too worried about if that. I'm not too worried about it because I right. I could get that down now to uh, an right. hour every day in the morning. And if I do it, I found out that if I do support just in the morning for an hour and I don't come back to it for the rest of the day, I don't get as many angry emails as I used to back in 2005. If I don't respond right away, now people seem to be fine with waiting, you know, right, uh, right. a couple of hours or a day for the subsequent response. So, I think I'm getting my support under control, right. or I'm delusional, and what's really happening is I'm losing customers at such a high rate <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not getting support. Well, you as do much also as have I used to, to consider that Uberdex going to need more support, but you don't know what but that is. But it's You'll, you'll want to yeah. do that support I'll yourself do for that a while first, until yeah. you get comfortable with it. All right, so so let's gonna, say we forget support. For I'm looking oh. for a coder. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, I mean. It's, that's always tricky. Uh, you, know, you know what surprises me? Here's something that surprised me. So you know what? I was just talking about this. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was sure. just talking about this that when you look for a designer, it's not easy, but at least you go to Dribble and you could see, right? You, you, right. Dribble is the best you, thing ever. Those you guys, you could see on Dribble. You could go to DeviantArt. You could go to places and you could judge at least the style, if not the skill or personality or ability to do work. At least you All could right. filter by that. Coders, oh my god, you have to go to GitHub and look at open source stuff, look at contributors, figure out who contributed what, how prolific they are, how clean they are. There's like so much more. Or you follow some guy who's in some project you like and, and he's like very popular in it. And coding is just so much harder to judge on a surface level to be able to go and filter people cold like that. Yeah, I mean, that, I guess in that sense it's true, but I still think... I mean, compared to like even a few years ago, like that, there is GitHub and or similar, you know, systems like you at least have the option to do that. Whereas before, maybe you could ask somebody to submit something they wrote or whatever. And, you know, who knows what that they even did it like as much more assurity that this is something that this person actually did, you know, create. And uh, but I think even more than that, like 
so obviously you have that aspect to it like you could actually look at their actual code and make some judgments you know based on that which is super helpful um but you're gonna need somebody you know i well first of all that could be a little bit of a downside for you depending on what you want them to do in that like if it's an ios type guy it feels like there's a lot less you know open source out there around ios and android than there is you know with web app stuff like there's a ton of mm-hmm. you know people contributing to open source I don't know if that's as true. You know, I, I don't know that it's true. I don't seem to run across as much of that, but I mean, I'm sure there is stuff out there. But, um, but you want to, I mean, especially in your case, right? Like you need somebody who's flexible, I would think too, unless you're really going to just have them, you know, in one little hole. So it might be too a way to judge like, like do they only have iOS projects in their GitHub repo or like, did they do some JavaScript stuff? Have they fiddled around with some Android stuff? Have they played around with, you know, some PHP or something like some, you know, somebody who could indicate that they're going to be able to pick up on other things. Um, because, you know, once you get them in, I mean, even if you're not hiring them full time, you know, you might have to ask them to do totally different stuff than you were expecting. Like, I mean, I did all that stuff like with Eric, like, you know, he was contributor to Codeigniter and, so he had a GitHub account, could look at all the stuff. But now, you know, we basically have him doing JavaScript like 90% of the time. And he's like, and not just JavaScript, like jQuery, like everybody does, but hardcore, serious, in the depths JavaScript that he had to like mm-hmm. learn and do all this stuff. So, um, so, you know, these things kind of change direction. So especially with all the different apps you have on all the different platforms, like, for you, somebody who's a little more can cover a bunch of different bases might be as important as if they're an uber spectacular programmer, you know? Yeah. You know, one is where do you find these people? And two, yeah. once you find them, you know they're good. Um, they're probably not available. But if they are available, they're not earning anywhere less than what I'm making off of my consulting, right? So I basically have to hire them at a loss, well, you know, level. I don't, I don't know. You know what's interesting? I found recently, and I, I have to admit, I never like thought this was true. I guess, but um, there's a lot of people out there who want to work just like a minimal number of hours. Like so, like I know several people now who are programmers who work at like two or three different places, like ten, twenty hours at each, or like mm-hmm. who have consulting gigs but then work fifteen hours, you know, at some company. So like. You know, or just or only work 15 hours and maybe they take care of their kids the rest of the time or whatever. So, like, I actually think there's more people people out there like that than you would think. And if you phrase it just right, you know, you might be able to find somebody who, like, rather than money is more motivated by the fact that, like, they can do what they want to be doing in the 20 hours a week they actually have to do it. And they're still going to make decent money compared to, you know, just some menial job. And they get to be home and all that kind of stuff. So I think you need to find somebody who is more of a lifestyle fit because, like, obviously somebody who wants a full-time job, you can't even consider that person, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a little bit trickier. I mean, I'm a big fan of, like, going out and finding people, too, who are, you know, who fit what you need. I think that will be harder for you with kind of this very specific, you know, need. But... Yeah. Plus, yeah. I, I'm kind of thinking the whole search will just take longer than I'll save in the long run. Yeah. Well, to, well, because it's the consultant, it's different, right? Because, like, I mean, if it doesn't work out, it's very simple to be like, okay, now we're done. Like, you know, this was a contract thing for, you know, 
this time period and there's not a lot of stuff to unravel. You're not really making a mm-hmm. big commitment either direction on their part or your part. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little bit easier. Um, what do you think yeah, about so I, guess, I guess I'm, I'm in the position now where I'm open, but I'm not actively <laughs> going out and pursuing. I'm not asking, I, you know, I'm not posting anything. That's it. Oh, come on. Everybody out there is listening. Submit. Yeah, so yeah, so if you have any suggestions for me or you have a portfolios, because my experience is just so terrible. When I was hiring, it was just a whole bunch of people from McDonald's coming into the office and asking me if there's training available. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not mocking McDonald's. You know, there's people. But you were also locked into like being local all the time. I mean, I think yeah, when I was hiring, I was local. You're gonna take anybody from anywhere, and as long as they fit the fact that you only want them to work whatever it is, 20 hours a week or whatever, and, you know, they have the skills you're looking for, then, you know, I would think you'd be able to get, even maybe put one ad out there on, find, like, just the right job board and try and add, but I don't know. I think you'd be able to find somebody. I really do. Well, even on Twitter, I forget the job board, because the job board, you're going to get a bunch of crap, but if you, like, pushed it, if you put up a, like, page on com, put it out on Twitter... Get a couple people in the industry follow you to retweet it. You know, um, that's how, you know, we found one of our employees that way too. It's just kind of like more word of mouth. So mm-hmm. I think if you did it that way, that might, uh, that might be another way to go about it. All right. I'll try it out. Oh, for the <laughs> listeners, uh, for the listeners, I forgot to mention it last time. Um, if you want to do suggestions for topics or questions uh, for the show or whatever, um, it's uh, bootstrapped dot fm slash contact is it yep yeah bootstrapped yep. maybe we can do some contact. questions little q a yeah, so in case, i mean twitter twitter is best but if you want to be anonymous or whatever then that's a good way also yeah, yeah um yeah. i wanted to talk about open source okay specifically i know userscape has open source not big projects maybe but well of course laravel is open source but um you yeah, have that's not uh, yeah, you have a tool for uh, secure exchange of info on the web, right? I don't right. know what it's yeah. called again. PasteVault. PasteVault. So that's open source. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, I'm kind of having the call of the wild situation with open source. I kind of want to do it, kind of, sort of. Right. The two minutes of free time that I have be- between the trip to the office and from the bedroom. Right. Uh, contribute something to open source, but mm-hmm. if you're not a consultant, which I I am currently, but if you okay, if you're not looking to uh, in, improve and increase your rate of attracting clients, um, and you're not an employee looking for you know, a job, um, do do you see any benefits to uh, just doing open source? stuff not contributing to but just releasing and then maybe contributing to or or right. both or whatever i'm just i'm just seeing that uh okay so if you don't have aspirations to become a, you know like a, a superstar coder or you know, like one of these uh, uh what's his name uh dhh right guys and uh you don't want to improve your consulting situation and you don't want to attract employers to hire you is there a benefit right. of doing open source contribution that's a good question i mean definitely obviously if you're looking for a job or, or your consultancy like it's an absolute no-brainer it's like the best 
thing you could possibly do. So I think that's like in terms of just if you're thinking about it from straight strategy standpoint and for no other reasons, like then, yeah, that's a no brainer. Um, from like a, you know, from a company perspective, it's definitely a little bit more fuzzy. Uh, like, in, uh, so like I'll just speak about our case. So um, not everybody might be aware that we kind of help support um, this PHP framework called Laravel, which was created by Taylor Otwell, who works for us and uh, before he worked for us. And, you know, we've kind of just helped it grow a little bit. I mean, mo- you know, the genius is his and he does all the all the work on it. So, um, but, you know, it's in our case, it works out well, um, well, from a certain perspective. So it works out well in that he gets to work on our products and in turn that a either gives him ideas and also gives him reasons to write new modules or things he sees that there's needs for. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of features that have been contributed to Laravel by needs created in developing snappy, for instance. Um, so that's like great. And, and I've always personally wanted to do more in open source cause I felt like, you know, we, we do everything on open source, uh, at userscape. And so, you know, it's all PHP and jQuery, everything everybody uses all the time. So I kind of thought, I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to do it. Kind of like it sounds like you you were kind of feeling like it just seemed like either the right thing to do or just something interesting to give back and contribute and uh, however you can. So, you know, in our case, you know, in my case, I definitely don't have the chops. You know, I mean, I've built a few small things and open sourced them, Pace Fall, and I wrote a blog engine that I open sourced. But, I mean, I'm not going to ever be the guy who writes something that is like, you know, takes over the world like Laravel has done with PHP or DHH with Rails or something like that. That's that's not who I am. So, you know, I can contribute back by, you know, giving some time to help this bigger project and some resources. You know, in terms of financial benefit, you know, I think that it's very tricky. I, I don't I don't think there's a lot to be had, at least directly from it. Um you know, because like when you have a, like if you open source a piece of like, you know, Android code, mm-hmm. like that's not going to make you a lot of sales of Nightstand app. You know what I mean? Like there's not like a direct correlation there. And that's what we've seen to be true also. Um, I do think there's, you know, other benefits to it for the company are things more like name recognition. So like your name gets out there a little bit more. You know, and which can be helpful in the hiring process, especially I think um, like down the road when we're looking to hire, like, you know, we definitely know a lot more high quality developers now than we did in the past and and things like that. And, uh, you know, so and just involvement in different things. We helped throw a conference for Laravel. uh, So that was like a great learning experience that I just learned so much from. It was ridiculous. I mean, that's, it was crazy, but it was, it was really cool. And, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of those kind of things that are good, but in terms of like just pure Gordon Gecko, is this going to make me rich <laughs> or, or anything near rich? Like, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Um, yeah, for you, you know, in terms of like the mobile stuff, it's tricky. I don't know. Like, were you thinking like, something you've already built and open sourcing it or you were thinking more like you have some ideas for something new you know i think that this could be useful if there's something you want to exist that doesn't exist that's not a product per se um or would be hard to make into a product right then that could be interesting like 
to start something and get other people interested in it and then it you know it will exist and maybe that you know that's like that's like the big benefit of us for laravel right like we build everything on laravel and so us giving back to it means we can then build the products we want to build on this tool that we're you know helping make more powerful so Mm -hmm. you know it's indirectly this benefit that we can build something faster and better and stronger um, because we're helping the underlying foundation. So, you know, maybe something in that regard um, might no, be Because, well, for example, one of the products we built earlier, uh, it has a library on it for Android um, mm-hmm. that was very... Uh, it's complex enough that it took, it took a, you know, more than a trivial amount of research to figure out how to implement properly. Right. And uh, by the time we implemented it, a lot of the uh, the remainder of the app was already built. So the way it was implemented, it's really modular, so it could take it out fairly easily. Mm-hmm. And and yet, if you go off across um, places like Stack Overflow and try to look around, people are still uh, having trouble figuring all that part out that's covered by the library. So, right. so now you're faced with, with two choices that both have appeal to them. One is productize this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Put it up on its own domain and make a product out of it, which requires work right. uh, and, and uh, but might bring in money, right? So that has that appeal. But the second one is making it open source, which also requires work and also has an appeal, a dis- different type of appeal, but it does. It has a sort, right. sort of a draw to it, right? Yeah. Uh, because all of a sudden this 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 thing exists that all of a sudden makes things so much easier that a lot of people had uh, this problem found uh, tough to do for such a long time. Yeah. Right. So both of them have, have uh, appeal and, and draw to them. So that's got the question started kind of like, that's where. Yeah. I mean, from. I think that for you guys, like, I mean, it's a tough call. Obviously I don't know what it is. And like, you'd have to think about like if, how much money it's worth to you potentially, like, is it like a really a solid product idea that, is worth going to all that effort to do um, or, you know, yeah, maybe release it. And like, cause obviously, you know, enhancing the Antair brand and like, um, you know, maybe it's more of that kind of thing as well as making it itself better and more, you know, which then when you build future projects on top of it, it'll be a superior tool than just you on your own, you know, in the time you have to maintain this thing. Um, you know, I think there, there's definitely a lot of benefits to that. I mean, I can also tell you, if it ever became popular, there's there's potential downsides. I mean, there's a lot of work. People think you just, like, throw it up there and it's open source. Uh, but, like, if you want it to be successful, you know, I've seen, like, what Taylor does. And it's a tremendous amount of work to make mm-hmm. it successful. It, it, I mean, you still do a lot of what you have with a business. There's marketing aspects to it. There's tons of support aspects to it. Um, so there's definitely a lot of that kind of work that still goes into it i mean obviously yeah it's probably not a direct comparison because laravel is a huge project um with tons of code in it and this sounds like it's more of a self-contained kind of thing Mm -hmm. but um yeah i i don't know i mean i think that it sounds like it might be a good thing to try as like a toe in the water kind of open source idea and you know you can still always make i don't know again without us knowing exactly you know the details of it um which is you know probably too complicated for the scope of this podcast, but uh, you know it's possible that still could be like some financial gain from it, right? Like whether you know a big thing now is having these open source projects that you you know you sell support on and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's always an option too. 
I actually found a lot of, I like the, I, I don't know if it's a modern model, but I, I've only came across it recently, uh, the way uh, JavaScript libraries are released. So, for example, there's a thing called turnjs.net or org or com mm. or something, but it's a, it's a JavaScript where you flip pages. So it used to mm. be that you have to go and get Flash versions of this or something, and now it's a HTML5 right. JavaScript type of a thing. Right. And uh, the only reason I came across it was because he put up a Hacker News thing that he made half a million dollars off of it, and in six months, and uh, PayPal like locked out his account because because he was uh, overseas or something. But um, uh, but but the thing that intrigued me was that I mean it's essentially JavaScript, so it's open, right? I mean, right? It could be obfuscated, but it's open. Mm-hmm. And he's not even pretending to sell it. He's basically saying you could use it for free. But oh, by the way, if you're a company, here's a little tiny PayPal link that you have to buy a license for five hundred dollars. <laughs> right, right. So he's made like a shitload of money off of something that's like essentially, even if you pay him five hundred dollars, you just go to GitHub and download the thing. Right, right. Well, you know, I think that that's. I mean, I actually was uh, just thinking about that before you brought it up, so I'm glad you did. Like, there is that option, and like, you know, there's yeah, there's another JavaScript library called Packery. There's we use this um, component called tipped, which is the same way. A lot of the JavaScript libraries kind of go that route where it's it's just open source, but for commercial use, it's not. And you could, of course, just lie and take it. And there's not really any, um, like high charts that we use in our products is like, we pay like 2,200 bucks for it or something like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, but you could just use it and you could just take it. But, you know, if you want to be on the up and up and, mo- you know, most medium to large size businesses, it's not enough money. A, nobody cares because it's not their money, first of all. Mm-hmm. And so there's no benefit to them stealing it. They don't care. Like if they just work there and that's it. You know, they have a budget and it's tens of thousands of dollars. And if this thing costs 300 bucks and makes their life easier, then it's like no brainer to not buy it. So and then then the open source aspect to it. You know, it becomes your marketing, basically, right? So, yeah, like, it kind of yeah. makes sense, right? Because the guys that are writing little inky dinky JavaScript uh, apps can't afford it, won't pay for it, so right. they won't buy it from you anyway. So right. they'll get, they'll just take it. So you're not going to sell to them. But the businesses that can afford it would rather uh, be legal about it, and they'll just buy a license. And right? the big so difference- you're essentially selling to the people that can afford it. Which and the kind big of makes logical sense. Yeah. The big difference too is that usually the big, the one thing that they can control that they add is support. So mm-hmm. you know, if you pay the five hundred bucks, then you can email me, and if you right. don't, then you have to go on GitHub and submit your issue, and you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. So, and most commercial organizations, you know, that's a huge thing for them. Like even though they might never use the support, like they want to know that they have support in case right. they need to use support. So that's kind of the big additional benefit, which you can fully control and, uh, you know, makes that much more valuable to, you know, a bigger organization. Whereas a, an individual guy or company is much more willing to just, you know, dig around in some forum somewhere and find an answer. Uh, you know, the bigger organization wants to just, email you and get an answer so yeah i think that that would be interesting i mean then i mean really that's a little bit like both right so like you're still going to need probably a website and you're still going to need mm-hmm. set up support and so it's like it's like 
80% of a business. <laughs> yeah. It's like most of a business, but it's not all of a business. So it's more, it's really just a business with a different marketing channel than, yeah. uh, than, you know, a more traditional setup like advertising. I mean, I kind of thought about that, um, even for help spots someday, um, not today, but eventually I could see kind of going that route with it as well, depending on how snappy does and what mm-hmm. goes on there. But, uh, it is kind of an appealing route for sure. Yeah. I like John, that. I was just talking about John Carmack. John Carmack also releases all the... I mean, this is cutting edge at the time of his writing it. This is the the cutting edge, most razor sharps code that you could get, right? When John Carmack is writing it over a weekend uh, uh, to release a new id engine. And then he sells it for like I think whatever it costs a hundred grand to whoever wants to license it. Mm. And then the rule is five years later it's open sourced or ten years later whatever it is. Mm. So all of those, Doom, Wolfenstein, Doom Two, even Doom Three now I think. Yeah, definitely Doom Three and Quake. All of those are right up there and wherever download them and take a look at them. Mm. And I mean these things sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars when when they were. A week old or whatever. Right. So, I mean, to him, the benefit is, I guess, selling, uh, you know, id engine n plus one because id engine n is so popular and available. Plus, you kind of have a generation of developers that grew up on his stuff. Right. So now you have a generation of developers who are now making decisions at their own gaming companies, and they're going to go out and buy his latest stuff because they know his original stuff. Well, I mean, and that's definitely a huge part of the open source. Like, I mean, it's tricky. I don't know how, you know, it would depend on you know, releasing an individual library. You know, it depends on what happens with it. But one of the things I've definitely seen now being more involved, like in a bigger open source project is that like the community aspect of it is pretty awesome. Like you just have so many people who are willing to like pitch in people doing tons of work and like stuff that you know obviously it would cost a lot of money but even just time to get done or if you were trying to do it yourself or uh, people just really get into it like there's a level of kind of fanaticism that can grow around it which is really borderline impossible to get in all but the really best commercial stuff like um i mean there's not a lot of commercial software that kind of generates positive community aspects around it like you see in these popular open source projects i mean mm-hmm. negative you know you see like, people hate photoshop and stuff like that like you can maybe negative approaches it sometimes but you know positive in terms of software i mean you can think of like apple but even apple it's not really it's not so much software it's more about the like hardware and stuff when you get that kind of you know feelings around it so yeah it's like that's you know maybe even really the, the best part of it is uh just all these people from all over the world kind of chipping in and doing little things, people who maybe can't do the code doing docs and, you know, just all kinds of stuff like that. So there's definitely a big community factor and like, like, like we'd say, like, you know, building up your own name recognition and things like that. It's kind of an interesting in that regard. And um, 10 years is a long time. That's surprising. But I guess in that kind of stuff, I think it's five years. Oh, five years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in the, in the game world, it seems like 10 years would be ancient. Like, but uh, 
Hmm. Yeah, the only reason I'm thinking 10 years is because I think like Doom 3 took 10 years from Doom 2 to build, but I think this, the, the id tech engines are actually, I think, released every five years. I don't okay. remember, actually. I can't be sure. Right. Well, I mean, that's actually, that's a really good idea because, I mean, you know, that game's not going to be five years old for a game is forever, and like they're not going to be still selling copies of that game five years from then. So like, and even, and they can still sell it, I assume, but just that the engine's open source, which is not a huge deal. Nobody's going to build presumably a competing product with a five-year-old engine or anything like that so yeah plus i'm not even sure if the assets ship with the engine with the code mm, or not probably yeah. not yeah, so. i don't know but at some level uh i think I like you should to do be, it. I, <laughs> <laughs> at some level I, I think i like to be more on a positive side of life and think that carmack is probably releasing this not because he needs a 12th Ferrari or another rocket sure. ship, right? So he's probably releasing them out of the goodness of his heart or some sort of uh, uh, posterity uh, <laughs> contribution to his field because, you know, yeah. his son is now learning programming and half the mm. four-hour speech that he gives is about, you know... Uh, I mean, there's a guy that really still loves code yeah. decades after, you know, he started and became rich off of it, so... It's appealing. Both of them are appealing. It's appealing to go out as a coder, and it's appealing to be Jamie Zawinski and sit in a club and listen to guys play guitar. Well, that's like I mean, I know you still uh, like follow Dave Weiner. Like I'm a big Dave Weiner fan, and like he's like I mean, he's got to be close to sixty, I think, and he's like he's just releasing a new product, and he's still coding and stuff. So like that is pretty cool. Like that is um, there is that kind of interesting aspect to that of staying in the game that long and I don't know I do feel like it's a young man's game to some degree but I think if you can put it in its proper perspective at some point which is I'm not so great at but when you get to that place where you can then uh, I, I do think that's could be kind of fun to be still doing it when you're you know in your 60s and 70s and whipping out fresh new code it does the, something interesting controls your brain or your house or whatever it is by then it's interesting to see actually coders who are coders that are getting older that are still coders because when I was, you know, even a couple of years ago, the older coders were all basically academics, right? They all go to, right. they all go and teach. And I don't want to, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I you mentioned do. it on this podcast. I taught, I just came off of a semester of teaching programming at Hunter College and it wasn't uh, the stroll through a meadow that I expected it to be <laughs> and I don't think I want to go out as an academic um, so and and I also don't want to do this gauntlet of you know coding sessions when I'm 50 60 yeah. so maybe the bar would be a nice thing right a bar <laughs> a bar where you build a really really awesome website for it you know and it's like all interactive <laughs> and everything it's like, all black with green font right no no you gotta like really code it out like the website is ridiculously overkill like you know, it's got all kinds of stuff you can order your drinks through it and they're waiting for you when you get there and stuff like that like you've got all kinds of features and functionality on this website for your bar because that's where you do your coding and then but then you also run the bar all right, we're like an hour and forty minutes in. I know we're getting bad. Like we were, we were keeping these tight, and now we're just now. I think it's just like a bitch session here or something. I don't know. We're just like. Well, 
We nobody's went, gonna we hear. Went, like we got to like we got to actual content like the last twenty minutes and like nobody's gonna. We hear went that. on a forty minute tangent into movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so, yeah, we're supposed to do that. Like uh, Dan Benjamin used to do that with uh, you know um, the talk show. There they did that with they re- they did movie reviews of the James Bond movies, but they always did it at the ends. You could like you know you didn't have to listen to you that. Could skip you didn't it. Want it or whatever. Yeah, like we gotta we gotta work on that. If we're gonna do movie reviews, we're gonna have to organize that better. <laughs> we need to bring Eric Barnes in, and and he's gonna do a, a a book report on the latest film that you forced him to watch this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Well, this is funny because like every both the guys are like that. Like they're both like haven't seen any movies, and I'm like, uh, see, that's what I thought. See, I thought they hadn't seen any movies, but now I think that I've seen a lot of movies. Like I think I'm actually <laughs> like this movie nerd, and I didn't even know like. I think it was just because, like, nobody cared what I did when I was a kid. So, like, I watched, like, 14 hours of HBO a day, you know? And, like, <laughs> so, like, I just saw everything ever a million times. And, you know, HBO, right? It's on, like, 9 in the morning. Then it's on again at, like, 7 at night. So, like, I'm just watching the same movie twice <laughs> a day. And, like, I, so I think it's just me, like, because I, I beat on them forever. And I was, like, you guys have never seen anything. And I was, like, I'm set, buying DVDs and sending them to them and, like, but now I think that I think it's really me. Like I think I've just seen a lot of movies, so I don't know. It's it's weird. See, if you're looking for a coding job, go apply to Userscape because it's like startup heaven over there with free DVDs in the mail. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to bring up something else? Something that's not movie related? Something that people will actually not turn off the podcast? Uh, no, sure. I think we're long enough. We better just wrap it up. But uh, yeah, the, we should mention again the contact page over there. Yeah, bootstrap.fm slash contact. Like we need more content. We're only at an hour and 40 minutes. So if you have questions, <laughs> please send them. Um, yes. And I think, no, I think I think we're good for this episode. It was a little meandering. We're going to, we'll try to tighten it up. We're both tired. I think it didn't help us today. Either. Yeah. 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 Kind of lost control. Yeah. (laughs) All right. right. Uh, Thanks, guys, for listening. We're on bootstrapped.fm. Contact page is on the right hand side. Our Twitter handle is on the right hand side. RSS feed, all the episodes are up there. And uh, we're also on iTunes, where you should all leave us good reviews because. um, Just because. Because it's the right thing to do. Because you're awesome, and that's your contribution. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so we'll be back next week. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye.